This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm joined by Trav. I'm Drew. And I'm Trav. This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. As always, we are here to talk about 80s and 90s media. How are you doing today, Trav? I am doing pretty good, Drew. How about you? I'm doing really good. Um, maybe the listener can tell, but we got some new equipment. Yeah. Very exciting. I it hope that exciting. the I hope that the listener can tell. I hope we sound crisp and professional. And that is the hope. Crisp and professional. Crisp and professional. Cheap. Cheap. Um so because The Nightmare Before Christmas takes place in 1993, guess what? I pulled the box office information for 1993 from boxofficemojo.com. Nice. Seems uh, like there's a pattern maybe with this <laughs> yeah. stuff, huh? Uh, number one, Jurassic Park, $338 million. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. It's a really good movie. There's a lot of bangers on this list. <laughs> uh, that was the one thing when I was going through this stuff. It was like, man. 93 was a great year yeah, for movies. seriously. <laughs> like, a lot of homework ideas here. So, in 93, you were probably too young to see Jurassic Park in the theater. I believe so. I was four. Yeah, I don't I think. Don't, <laughs> I don't think you were seeing... my dad took me, but maybe. I don't think you were seeing a T-Rex in uh, theaters in 1993 then. But, uh, man, that movie, the, the hullabaloo around that movie when it came out, it was just, like, insane. Like, it was insane how... The news stories, like the national news stories and stuff about like this cutting edge computer graphics and all this stuff, bringing uh, dinosaurs to life was really, really cool. Yeah. And guess what? Hey, that one's, we're going to be doing that one. Oh, uh, yeah. Obviously. Sooner right? than later. The Fugitive at number two is $176 million. What is, what's the famous uh, Harrison Ford line? He says, I didn't do it. And then Tommy Lee, jo- Tommy Lee Jones says, but I, I, I don't care or something <laughs> like that. He just wants to arrest him. So. That's a good movie. It's That's another a, good one. I like the second one better. But really? Yeah. Well, they're both good movies. Yeah. Uh, the Firm. Have you ever seen The Firm? That's I a. That's I haven't. Is that have Sean Connery? No, that is a Tom Cruise. Oh, nice. Yes, it's a lawyer movie. Oh, okay. $158 million. I was thinking of The Seed. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, that's got a tie to us recently for sure. Yep. Um, still never seen it. Um, uh the Phantom, our uh, friend of the show, he says, he says that I, we should watch it. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Phantom. I don't know if I'll be watching Sleepless in Seattle. It, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> to make anything like that happen, for sure, starts with an email at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, thank you for saying the email address. That was Overdue homework podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, number eight. So I just, so after that, top five. Or well, number four was Sleepless in Seattle. Number five was Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a pure classic. Hello. Gotta, gotta love Mrs. Doubtfire. And number eight is Aladdin, which is a personal favorite of mine. Nothing oh, yeah. wrong with Aladdin. Almost $100 million. So Aladdin was a big deal. Cool runnings. I'm, assu- I'm assuming you're a big fan of Jamaica having a bobsled team, right? Oh, definitely. Jimmy. I love this movie. <laughs> oh, boy. Last action hero, Arnold. I couldn't resist uh, talking <laughs> about Arnold. That was number 23 in 1993. Yep. Uh, Hot Shots Part Deux. Ooh. Hot Shots is great. The second one is better, maybe? They're pretty much on par. But, yeah. Man uh, Bear Pig. 
he's he wants us to get to that hot shot. We'll have to because uh, little Charlie Sheen action is always good. Um, loaded Weapon, another uh, spoof movie. Uh, I was gonna say not Lethal Weapon. Nope, Loaded Weapon. I don't Sa- think I've ever seen this one. Samuel L. Jackson and Emilio Estevez. Nope, never it's seen that. One. Pretty dang good. Surf Ninjas. Surf I Ninjas, know, I've seen. Yeah, obviously. that was a hundred and fifty sixth of nineteen ninety three. It made four point <laughs> nine million dollars. So, I know I saw that movie more than a few times. Yep. Rob Schneider and Surf Ninjas. Rob Schneider. <laughs> Gotta love that. That was one of those rental repeats for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was uh, Sleepover with the Boys. What are you guys picking up? Well, obviously, we're going to pick up Surf Ninjas. What yeah. else would we do? Surf Ninjas. What other What other movie, you mean? <laughs> yeah, what other movie besides Surf Ninjas could we even think about picking up? <laughs> um, Trav, do you want to move on to the homework review? Let's get into it. Well, let's remind our listeners what the homework review was. It's The Nightmare Before Christmas from October 29th, 1993. That was uh, directed by Henry Selleck. Um, Henry Selleck also did the uh, directed James and the Giant Peach, which was um, a good movie. I could see that making the list for us eventually. Oh, yeah. Uh, screenplay by Caroline Thompson. Story by Tim Burton, based on a poem by Tim Burton. Then we got our voice cast, Jack Skellington, Chris Sarandon, the speaking voice, and Danny Elfman as the singing voice and also as Beryl. Sally was voiced by Kathleen, Catherine O'Hare, who also uh, voices Shock. Oogie Boogie was Ken Page, is Ken Page. Santa Claus is Ed Ivory. And then Locke is Paul Rubens. Oh, Pee-wee. Oh, Pee-wee. Um, to put any controversy to bed, um, The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie. Yes. It was confirmed by Henry Selleck, the director. So he says it's a Halloween movie. I'm going to say, Henry, it's a Halloween movie. Oh, we're going to agree. Um, before we kind of get into this a little bit, I just want to say thanks to all the various articles that I use from all over the interwebs, including articles from Collider.com, Insider.com, MovieWeb.com, Gizmodo.com, and of course the featurette from the DVD disc, uh, The Making of the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I also watched, watched it on YouTube and not <laughs> on the DVD set, so I'm pretty sure it was the featurette of the making. It looked very official and had Disney branding on it, so I'm pretty sure it's the featurette from the DVD. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Um, You want to learn a little bit about this movie before we get into the homework review? Yes, I would. All right. The film production in this movie started in 1990, and uh, they're shooting 24 frames per second. So that means there's 24 individual motions for every second of film. And mm-hmm. so that's how it makes it look super duper smooth and makes it look super duper good. Mm-hmm. Um, the animators had to create unique motions for a total of 110,000 frames in this movie. Dang. Doesn't that seem ominous? Doesn't that seem like unobtainable? Like yeah. when you started making this movie as a as a as an animator, it'd be like, uh, 110, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> there's one. <laughs> Uh, so that kind of boils down to one minute of the movie took about a week to shoot. That's crazy. That is crazy, right? <laughs> it's a newfound uh, appreciate, appreciation for the people that made this film. Yeah, dedication. Um, so obviously the movie, they started making the movie in 1990 and it wasn't released until 1993. So this movie took three years to complete. It was a team of over 100, uh, 100 people and it was def- definitely a limit-pushing movie. Mm-hmm. This is like the best of the best for stop motion animation were on this film and 
Definitely. Doing everything that you could possibly do, taking the techniques and pushing them to the absolute max. Um, Burton, like, he really, really loves a classic stop-motion animation. Like, he said he was really inspired by movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the stuff that he grew up on watching every Mm -hmm. year, stuff that I still watch to this every year with my child now. Yep. Um, Tim, so do you know the story with Tim that he was an animator at Disney, got fired from Disney, went to Warner Brothers, and then had lots of success at Warner Brothers, obviously, right? And then came back to Disney. No, I didn't. So he created the idea for this movie on the first go-around with Disney. So Disney had all of this information and stuff like in their vaults. So when he was fired and he went to WB, like I said, he had all that success. And Disney said, well, we want you back. Yeah. And uh, Burton said, sure, but... I got this little project that I'd like to make. So if you could dig that stuff out and let me make it, then yeah, I'll come back. Nice. So that's what he did. So the reason why Tim decided to go with Selick is that he and Selick really saw eye to eye on the way this movie uh, was supposed to be made. Selick said that uh, he and Tim are from the same planet maybe even like the same neighborhood. So yeah. like, you know, they kind of have a similar um, similar aesthetic or similar idea of what they wanted to get out of a movie like this. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yup. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly enough, all of the songs were written before the script was. That's pretty cool. So Tim and Elfman, Danny Elfman, have a real strong relationship, and we've talked about that before in episodes that we've done. And so what they would do is they would get together and have these creative meetings, and Elfman would be like, so what do you plan for this section of the movie? And Tim would describe to Elfman what he wanted to have happen in this movie, and Danny Elfman would go write a song. And then a couple days later, they'd get back together and say, well, how about this next section of the movie? And Tim would describe it to him. And Danny Elfman would go write a song. And so that's how this all went until they had all these songs written. And then they went back through and built the script off of those songs. That's so crazy. And knowing that, you can really tell in the movie that that's what's happening. Because it's a musical. Right. And so it's very heavily based on what the songs have to say and what they're doing. And they take up a very large portion of the film. Yeah. The, The dialogue in between the music is, I bet you it's 50-50. 50-50, maybe even less. Probably less. 60, 40 songs to dialogue, yeah. maybe even a little bit less And than then they're that. sneaking in songs in the background even when they're having the regular dialogue. So, Right, uh, exactly. So it's yeah. like 80-20. 80-20. I, I would go for that, 80-20. I would go for that. Um, so the movie was supposed to resemble a pen and ink drawing. Um, like a living illustration. Can you see that now, knowing Definitely. that? That was something. All the black and white. Yeah, that was something that I never really got out of this movie until I learned about it, that that's what it was supposed to resemble. I'm like, yeah, that looks like hand-drawn illustrations out of a newspaper or something like that. Right. So it's a, it's a cool, they, they definitely, they definitely established that look, whether I understood it at the time or not. Yeah. Um, so if you want to, let's talk about the production design a little bit. Um, all of the production design was complete. When it was completed, they were making models of everything. So they started with a quarter scale mock-up of each set that they used in the movie to further refine and make sure everything works with the design. Um, 
so when those sets were going to be finally made a two foot section then is like a 24 foot section or no all the sets together were would have totaled 24 feet in length and they were broken down into like two foot sections oh, and all this other geez. stuff so um it was pretty dang cool the sets were made with the idea that the animator wouldn't have to reach more than two feet to uh, actually animate the puppet. So if right. that wasn't uh, something that they could do, they had uh, trap doors built inside the sets so that you could climb underneath, pop open this trap door, get up there, pose the model, and then get out of there and take your shots. Jeez. And it's super duper involved. And uh, the ideas that you probably have, the workarounds that you probably have to get to to be able to do those things, it's pretty intense. It's pretty dang cool. Um, so even though the sets were in miniature, they still lit it as if it was like a full size like movie set. So the sets were in miniature, so were the lights that they used. So it's like the normal lights that you would use, but it was just a smaller version. Yeah, that's how you get that cool view of it making it look like a like a real feature length film instead of some animated special. Right? Yeah. So the thing that they kept saying is that consistency is the hardest thing for them to achieve while making these types of movies. I mean, they were using eight different camera crews um, at the same time, basically. They'd be all over doing the same, different shots on different sound stages, shooting different parts of the movie all at the same time. And then you have to marry, marry all that stuff together. So consistency, like how, yeah. do, how do you get that consistency? Eight different minds to come up with the same view. Exactly. It's a pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Um, if you want to talk about the puppets, there's tons to talk about the puppets. Uh, the, the sculpture department consisted of four people. So four people came up with all of the sculpture ideas and all the sculpture designs for everything that you see in the movie. They would get drawings from the art department. The characters would be sculpted out of an oil-based clay. Um, then they would have a metal armature inside each puppet. And all of this was based off of pictures and drawings. Um, the metal armatures were all hand-machined. Each piece and each joint of the armatures were handmade and put together. Uh, once a puppet was sculpted, it would go into the molding department. So then they would take a mold of the sculpted puppet. Uh, they would put the metal armature inside of the mold. The mold would get injected with latex foam. And then they would bake that out in an oven. And that's how you would get your final puppet after that. And then it was <laughs> then it was designed, it was painted and refined and everything after that. Who would ever guess that? It's crazy to think about the yeah. work. So, and then this is the other thing that's going to be mind-blowing for you. There were 60 individual characters in the movie, so they had to do that a minimum of 60 times. And then each of those characters had as many as four duplicates. <laughs> so you're talking 200 total puppets that they had to do for this movie. You would never guess that much work was put into how simple the movie right. seems. And all of that was done before they shot a single frame of film. Yeah. You know? like, that's that's just crazy, the amount of work. How much they had to prepare before really even getting into the movie is yeah, crazy. It is very crazy. Uh, if that's crazy, wait until we talk about the animation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like I said, many of the scenes are on different stages being made all at the same time. Um, many of the like motions and stuff were actually acted out by the animators before they were animated. So they would physically go through and do these motions and 
somebody else would act it out so that they could watch it do it. And then they would go off of those physical actions that the physical acting that they did together to try uh-huh. to actually animate these puppets. My so gosh. you would physically act it out. Then you'd go try to make your puppet do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they do tests, uh, test takes of each scene before they actually do a final take. So they'll move the puppet, take their shot, move the puppet, take their shot, move the puppet, take their shot. They'll look at it and then they'll say, okay, I like that. And they'll do it again. And then they'll finally be like, okay, we'll do it again. And this is the final take. <laughs> so, I mean, just the amount of stuff that you have to do. So, so just for instance, if it takes 400 uh, shots to make a scene and that takes 10 days and you mess up on shot 380, the whole thing has to be redone. Oh There's no God. just like redoing that shot. Right. And then the final thing here to kind of blow your mind, uh, Jack had hundreds of individual heads for the mouth animations that were made. Have you ever seen pictures of that? When they were going through this, oh, yeah. I've seen they had like suitcases and suitcases full of these heads, yeah. you know. Uh, so they needed to have each individual mouth motion for all the vowels uh, made. And then they would also have to make duplicates of those for if Jack was happy, if he was sad, if he was singing, if he was whispering, you know, like all of right. those different little tiny motions that he'd have to do. And then Sally kind of had a similar thing, but instead of her her whole head coming off, just the face came out. Right. So it looked really weird because it would be like this hair and the eyeballs and then no face. It reminded me of the shrimp that Ursula eats in uh, Little Mermaid. It looked a lot like those shrimp. Like, that's what that looks like to me. That was pretty funny. And then finally, the backgrounds were added and the traditional animation sequences were added as well. So... And then you got your movie. So those are some mind-blowing facts and the time and the attention to detail that it takes to make a movie like this. I understand why it's only a hundred or an hour and 19 minutes. Yeah, you know, it's seriously. a fairly short movie when you think about it. But right. It still took three years. To three make. years. <laughs> um, Burton is quoted as saying that this making a movie like this is like making a traditional movie just in slow motion. So like right. everything just takes takes uh takes time takes time takes time uh you want to break this one down trav are we ready to move on to the homework assignment let's break it down let's break it down let's break it down i should say the homework review not the assignment the review (laughs) 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 all right so our opening sequence we get the holiday tree circle and that poem that gives it a very fairy tale feel right i thought that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. um should i read the poem do it okay twas a long time ago longer now than it seems in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams for the story you are about to be told took place in the holiday worlds of old now you probably wonder where holidays come from if you haven't I'd say it's time you begun. Um, super appropriate opening to the movie. It's really cool. It's very yeah. uh, fairy tale ish. It's, uh, it's it's the whole premise of the movie. Like where the holidays come from. Right. It's, it's very cool. It's whimsical. It's it is very whimsical. Uh, that first song, just to start that movie out right with uh, "This Is Halloween." You got the beasts under the bed and the monsters under the stairs and. This song just gives us a really great idea of what Halloween Town is all about. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and the Shadow on the Moon is obviously Oogie Boogie, right? Obviously. 
Um, we get to see all the main players in this song. We get Sally, we get Jack, we get the mayor, and then we get Jack's uh, big entrance. The whole town loves it. Oh, He's yeah. the pumpkin king. They're right? obsessed. It's another successful Halloween. Everyone is in love with Jack. It's the most horrible Halloween yet. Um, the witches in this part are pretty funny. You're a witch's fondest dream. <laughs> Those witches really love Jack quite a bit. Yeah. Um, did you like that song? Oh, I love that song. It's a really, really good song, right? I feel like almost every song that happens, like, okay, that's the best song. And then you hear the <laughs> next song and you keep changing your mind. But yeah, that song's great. Danny Elfman is pure genius, that's for sure. Pure Danny, genius. Gotta love Danny Elfman. Um, but, you know, not knowing what is going on with Sally, it seems like she might be in a pretty difficult situation at this point, the yes. viewer. We're not quite sure what's going on. She's openly obstinate to Dr. Finkelstein. Uh, poisoning him with deadly nightshade to escape, and then untying her arm to escape, leaving it behind to get some shots in on Dr. Finkelstein, right? <laughs> That's a pretty good gag. All that stuff with Sally's very funny, the way she takes herself apart. Yeah, can still control her limbs somehow. Mm-hmm. And then we're back with Jack, and uh, Jack escapes during the award ceremony. The, the first award that we see is the award given to the vampire who drained the most blood over the last year. Yeah. Those vampires, uh, those vampires are really funny in this movie. I yeah. love the vampires. <laughs> I like those vampires a lot, too. So when he's walking away, he flips that coin over to the, one of the um, people in the band. Nice work, Bone Daddy. <laughs> and he says, I guess so. Uh, Jack is just totally bored with Halloween. Oh, he's sick of it. Um, he's, uh, he's like, I guess so. Just like the last one and the one before that. And the one and before the one that. Before that. Um, Jack does move over to the cemetery. Um, Sally is hiding there at this point. We get our second song, Jack's Lament. Uh, the Pumpkin King, he's tired of the same old thing. Yeah. <laughs> this one is definitely competition for best song. Of the... Yeah. This one's super famous. Yeah. It's iconic. Right. Right. This is kind the, of what the, you... The scenery. Yeah. It's, what it's you... like the cover of the movie. Yes. It's him standing on that hill. It's what you think of when you think of uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. That uh, curly hill, curly whatever right. you want to call it, the way it kind of rolls out. I remember thinking when I saw that uh, when I was a kid being like, that is very weird. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's kind of lost on you now because it is that iconic scene, but it is uh, an interesting scene that you uh, you wouldn't expect in a movie. Yeah. That's especially a Disney film. Um, but from that song, we learn that Jack wants to give up being the Pumpkin King. He is uh, sick of doing it. He wants more from his life, and fame isn't enough anymore. Sally definitely identifies with Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, she's wanting more out of her life also. Yeah. Especially romantically with Jack, that's for sure. Yeah. Sally is back with Dr. Fick Finkelstein now, but it's mostly for her arm, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, he made her. She's restless. Um, and then he tries to, Dr. Finkelstein tries to assure it's a phase. It will pass. But It'll pass. It's not going to pass, no. Dr. She um, got away three times that month. <laughs> <laughs> right. And obviously Deadly Nightshade isn't that deadly. Yeah, not and so deadly. Sleepy Nightshade. I don't, I don't know why I was hung up on that so much in this movie. They keep calling it Deadly Nightshade and he, she keeps poisoning him with it, but he's not dying from it. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know why. I mean, obviously he's not going to die in a kid's movie, but then I was like, it must be something with the being Halloween town and you know, they're already dead. Something. It's gotta be something like that. Cause it doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't really make sense. But uh, we get to see next Jack and zero and they're kind of walking through the woods and he's uh, Jack's tossing that old rib bone wandering through the woods there. And we get to see the mayor at Jack's next and, Jack isn't home. That first instance of the mayor face switching. (laughs) Do you think uh, that uh, uh, Tim Burton is trying to say politicians are two-faced? Could be. Is that part of it? I never thought thought into it like that. I've I've always been kind of puzzled by why the mayor's head switches between being happy and sad all the time. Right. I gotta quit knocking this mic. You got the the confident side the fake mayor side and then you know as soon as he panics he's like i'm just an elected official i can't make these decisions on my own he's definitely desperate yeah the panic is just hilarious to me it's the morning after (laughs) can you give jack one day off nope we got 364 more days till next year's hockey trial it's got to toughen up Oh, boy. But, yeah, the mayor, he does fall down the stairs, and uh, nobody knows where Jack's been. He's He hasn't been home all night, and that's because Jack found the holiday tree circle, or whatever that is. What, whatever the hell that is, and that's so Lauren just asked when we are watching that. She's confused. Why is that holiday tree circle in Halloween Town, or is he walking out of Halloween Town into some unknown forest that has these so i kind of always assume that maybe this hub of holidays was in all of the holiday worlds oh sure know? that's kind of what i assume how you get from one to the other yes but then at the end of this movie after he gets shot out of the sky spoiler spoiler alert jack mm-hmm. travels back to halloween town through the doors in the cemetery right so he doesn't go back to wherever he came from so uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know, are. but I do like your idea because I wondered how he gets back from right. Christmas Town. Right, you know, it must be the same kind of thing. Oh, there's a group of trees. And I I think I that's it's got to be something. I think that's what it is. That there's probably a a hub like that in but every yes. one of the in every one of the holiday holiday worlds. But we're at the holiday tree hub. Yeah, the holiday tree hub. Uh, Jack is standing in the middle, surveying all the different holiday symbols. He was really interested in uh, uh, Thanksgiving there right away, but yeah. he gets hypnotized by the Christmas tree, and he opens up that door, and Jack literally gets sucked into it. Yep. It's not a... He didn't really choose to jump in. He no, kind of was he chosen. Yeah. He kind of was chosen to go in there, but then we get one of my more favorite songs, uh, what's this? So that's pretty good, right? Oh yeah. It's uh, Christmas Town is the complete opposite of Halloween Town. Obviously, it would be because Halloween and Christmas seem like the opposite, right? Yes, very much. Uh, Jack is inspired by everything he sees. He is amazed that everyone is happy and having fun. He doesn't right. quite understand that concept. Um, but Jack is still being completely terrifying, creeping through everybody's house, (laughs) scaring those young elves, completely terrifying. His shadow on the walls in some of those houses, it's just like, dang, dude, you are scary. Right. Um, I really love the short sequence in this song where he's walking the opposite direction that the carousel's spinning. Yeah. It's one of the instances where it's like, man, you are showing off your animation skills by doing something like that. Yeah. It's technically a really, really cool thing to watch. Jack is in love with Christmas Town. He loves it so much that he's angry about it. What? 
is this? <laughs> He's so angry about it. He absolutely loves it. Um, Jack does see Santa, though, and he's seemingly hatching a plan of some kind that we don't know what it is yet, but we will soon find out. Yes. Um, back in Halloween Town, um, all of the people of Halloween Town are suspicious of Jack in his absence. Um, it seems kind of like unprecedented. Like, right. They're kind of gossiping about him. Like, why isn't he around? What's yeah, going on? What the Where hell? is he? He's like, the pumpkin king. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the mayor is especially worried. There's only 365 days to next Halloween. So he starts sounding the alarm, which is just cranking that cat tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dr. Finkelstein's laboratory. Laboratory. I, whenever they would show his lab up on the hill and it had that like dome or that, uh, sphere, it, it was reminding me of something, but I could never put my finger on it. Yeah. Dude, does it remind you of anything? I don't know. I always just found the structure of that interesting, yeah. like the big high towers and yeah. stuff. So I feel like the same feeling yeah. <laughs> as you're having, but I think it's just reminding me of this movie. And, and that might be it. The only thing that I could even like come close to even deciding that maybe this is what it's reminding me of was like the place that Edward Scissorhands lived at in Edward Scissorhands. Which I haven't seen. Oh boy, we need see that one <laughs> that's what it kind of reminded me of this whole movie reminds me of edward scissorhands which you know makes sense tim burton tim all. burton um sally's making that soup uh with more deadly nightshade which makes it smell terrible so frog's breath that covers frog's up breath. anything but far too powerful and it's very bitter powerful. so um she gets out the uh, worm's wart right yep um and sends her heads up to give finkelstein that uh, soup and I love the bit where he opens up his head and scratches his brain. I always <laughs> yeah. love that. I always remember being uh, repulsed by that slightly as a kid, but yeah. also being like, ooh, I love that. That's gross. I love that. <laughs> um, lunch is ready. Mmm, worm's wart and frog's breath. <laughs> Nothing more suspicious than frog's breath. And he says he won't touch it. I until thought s- you love frog's <laughs> breath. <laughs> right. And uh, he says he won't touch it unless Sally tries it first. Um, But Sally isn't hungry. She knocks that spoon out of his hand. She retrieves the slotted spoon from her sock. Way to go, Sally. That's some thinking ahead, I guess. Um, She tastes that soup and yum, 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 scrumptious, right? And so he just uh, gulps it down. Was just fooled three times last month (laughs) or (laughs) hypothetically the first day of November. And he's like... All right, that's good enough for me. I'm going to drink the entire bowl here in 10 <laughs> seconds. And he did. <laughs> and he did. And he did. Um, Jack is now back with Zero and a haul from Christmas Town. Uh, the town's wondering, where have you been? Um, Jack says, call a town meeting and I'll tell everyone about it. Town meeting tonight. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein is passed out so Sally can attend that town meeting. I just said town meeting a lot right there. Town meeting. Town meeting. Um, and then we get the fourth song, the town meeting song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he wants to tell you all about Christmas Town. You must believe when I tell you this, it's as real as my skull and it does exist. Uh, Jack is trying to explain what Christmas is to these people and presents. And they want to know, is there a head in there? He's like, no, 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 there's <laughs> yeah. no head. Then the stockings. How about a foot? Is there a foot in the stocking? Yeah. No, there's no foot in the stocking. The people just, they're just not getting it whatsoever. So Jack just says, okay, 
I'll give you, I'll give them what they want. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. He's a fearsome king with a deep, mighty voice. Jack really lays it on pretty thick there, and the townspeople, they just eat it up. They oh, love yeah. it. That's what they want. They they don't want Christmas. They want scary Halloween. Yeah, they want more Jack. They want more Jack. Um, at Jack's house, he's learning uh, that he's learning everything that he can possibly learn about Christmas. Um, he's like, "There's got to be a logical way to explain this Christmas thing." Um, does is that the instance where he pulls out the book that says the scientific method or something? Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. pulls out the scientific he's method. He's got the book. chalkboard up. Yeah, he's got the chalkboard up. Something plus Sandy and a claw <laughs> equals Christmas, and he's all puzzled staring at it. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein's laboratory again, and Sally's getting locked away. Um, you've poisoned me for the last time. Uh, Jack is there to borrow some equipment for some experiments, and Dr. Finkelstein sets him up. Jack's experiments, he's got the microscope with the berry, which does absolutely nothing. Yep. Um, he's got the acid bath for the candy cane, the spider snowflake, which is really funny because he's legitimately trying to make a snowflake and he opens it up and it's just a spider. Like, okay, <laughs> I guess it's going to be a spider. And then the boiling the ornament and it's glowing green. It's interesting reaction. But what does it mean? Well, Jack, you got to find out, I guess. Yep. Um, then we get Sally's escape. She's definitely not going to hang around and let Finkelstein uh, no. ruin her life any more than he already has. Uh, she's been watching the goings-on at Jack's home and um, is really intrigued. And she wants to get out there and she wants to see what's going on. Um, she's getting all her supplies together and she opens up the window, and lowers her things to the street. And then with a smile on her face, she throws herself out the window. Um, it's kind of shocking when she does <laughs> yeah. that because she's so happy. She's like, and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Later. But uh, she's she's a Frankenstein's monster type of monster. So right. she just sews herself back together when she gets down there. Well, after she crashes into the ground. And then Finkelstein discovers that Sally's escaped and gone again. He's <laughs> not very happy about that at all. Um, we get Sally at Jack's next, and Sally delivers that uh, that bottle and the fish bones, because that's what Jack eats, is fish bones. I guess. That's what he eats, is fish bones. Mm. That lovely butterfly smoke in the bottle. Uh, Jack looks back down at Sally, but she's already gone. Um, Sally is full-on like in love with Jack at this point. Like, oh, 100. That's, Jack is her main squeeze. <laughs> yeah, well, she wants him to be. Yeah, well, at least she wants him to be, right? Um, she grabs that flower, quote unquote flower that you would find in Halloween town. And she sits down to play. He loves me. He loves me not. Right. Yeah. But that flower turns into a Christmas tree. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful. I love the Christmas tree. Oh my God. It's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It completely burns away. And I would say that that is foreshadowing. Yes, it it is a little foreshadowing. A lot of foreshadowing. foreshadowing. What is this? (laughs) Uh, Jack's home the next day and we get song five, which is Jack's obsession because he's obsessed with Christmas. Right. Danny Elfman did not like try very hard when he named these songs. (laughs) You know, I was when I was taking my notes on this, I was like just writing in the song, like what I thought the song names would possibly be before I went back and looked them up. And there was a couple of them I hit like spot on, like the town meeting song. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I wrote down town meeting song for that. I was like, oh, spot on. I got that one right away. To be fair, maybe he would have been a little more creative with the name if he didn't create them before they did the movie. I guess that's very (laughs) true. That's very fair. 
Um, with Jack's obsession, we find out that something is definitely up with Jack, and the people of Halloween Town are very confused with, are very concerned with Jack's well-being, especially since they haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. And I hope he hasn't died. That one little kid that has his eyes sewn shut, which yeah. is seriously disturbing. <laughs> I mean, it's just normal to them. It's completely normal to them. Um, we get to see what's going on up in Jack's tower and the Christmas objects in jars and in beakers. And Jack has uh, completely studied what Christmas is, all the stories, all the songs. Uh, but he, he doesn't get what Christmas means yet. Like, nope. he is really struggling with what Christmas actually means. Yeah. I mean, he knows what Christmas is, just doesn't understand what it's supposed to stand for. Not one bit, at least. I, it must just be completely foreign just yeah. a completely foreign concept to him. Yeah. Um, Jack does have an epiphany, though, and he decides that he will be Santa Claus because nobody owns Christmas. Excuse me. He decides that he wants to be Santa Claus. Santa. They say it, depending on who's saying it, they say it a couple of different yeah. ways. Sandy Claus. Sandy Claus. Santa Claus. Uh, nobody owns Christmas, so why should they have all the fun? It should belong to anyone. I really debated a lot on actually trying to sing some of these songs, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that I didn't go that route. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have been funny. Uh, but for Jack, it, it, he's specifically talking about himself. It's not anyone, but in fact, me. Um, he's going to make it better. Um, Jack is going to improve it. It seems pretty cutthroat in approach. He's like, I'm going to take Christmas and I'm going to make it better. Yeah. I I just found out anything I know within the last 24 hours about Christmas, but (laughs) I got some good ideas. Some really good ideas. So he just runs over that window and starts screaming out of it, Eureka, this Christmas will be ours. Like... Con- like talking about he's going to conquer Christmas almost <laughs> yeah. like with an iron he fist. He sounds like the villain. He does sound like the villain. And if there is a villain in this movie, I believe it is the Pumpkin King. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, in that in that song, there was a couple other instances of really cool animation that I like. I liked a lot. Uh, the House of Cards that falls down in there. Like, how do you? Like, I was racking my brain. How do you make a house of cards fall down and stop animation? Yeah. All the cards would have to probably have to be connected in some way. Like, I remember seeing seeing that on my watch throughs and being like, dang, that is dang cool. And then he then brushes the cards off the table towards the camera and they all come flying at the camera. Whoever animated that sequence, man, hat off to you because that is some cool stuff. For real. So the town, including Sally, is there in line to meet Jack now, and he's looking for ideas. It's more like assigning tasks and jobs, right? Maybe looking for ideas, kind of, I don't know. Spreading ideas. Spreading ideas, giving the townspeople their jobs for Christmas, even though none of them, they are having a harder time understanding Christmas than Jack is. Yeah. Um, Dr. Finkelstein is there, though, for Sally and uh, meeting with Jack and Jack is having the doctor create some reindeer, and Finkelstein says it will be exceedingly simple. Um, The mayor says, how horrible our Christmas will be. No, how jolly. And this mayor is very sad about that. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm such an idiot. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But enter lock, shock, and barrel. And uh, these three mischievous little rapscallions, I tell you what. Rapscallions. uh, Rapscallions. Jack needs them, though. He has a job for them. It's top secret. It's top secret. We don't get to hear it, uh, but uh, we do get to hear 
that uh, they need to leave that no account oogie boogie out of this. And then they say, whatever you say, Jack, of course, Jack wouldn't dream of it, Jack. And they all have their fingers crossed. All those little rapscallions. <laughs> rapscallions. <laughs> um, and then we get to song six now, and it's Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Kidnap the Sandy Claws, throw him in a box, leave him there for 90 years and see if he talks. Then see if he <laughs> talks, right? That's the closest singing you're going to get. This is my second favorite song of the I movie. Love, yeah, the song is great. Um, so I wrote in my notes... LSB for Lock, Shock, and Barrel. So yep. I think I'm going to refer to them from now on as LSB, LSB instead of saying Lock, Shock, and Barrel. They have no intentions but to capture Sandy Claus and turn him over to Oogie Boogie. So yeah. Oogie Boogie can eat him? I guess. <laughs> I don't even think they know what he wants to do. <laughs> no. They're just like, ah. I, I think it's eat. Uh, they definitely serve Oogie Boogie first and foremost. Uh, they fear him. Yeah, I would say, they say it's, he's it's the a, scariest person. Yeah, it's a fear. It's a fear-based relationship. Um, I had forgotten that they travel via bathtub and yeah, it's yeah. super unsettling when that bathtub gets up and walks away. I don't know why that bugged me so much, but I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, but then we find out that Oogie Boogie is pretty dang excited for Santa Claus and he rolls those dice and he gets snake eyes, like a little, little foreshadowing to those snake eyes. Um, flashback to Jack and he's still meeting with those town people and he's a still assigning those tasks and uh, he's trying to get the band to learn how to play Jingle Bells. Uh, sounds pretty bad, but what else did you expect, right? Yeah, I mean. Uh, Jack loves it though. Fantastic. Now, why don't you all practice on that and we will all be in great shape. But then Sally, he says, I need your help more than anyone. He wants uh, Sally to make that Santa Claus suit. Um. Sally is trying to warn Jack that she had terrible vision full of smoke and fire. Um, Jack says, that's not my Christmas. Yeah, I didn't have that same vision. <laughs> Sally thinks it's going to be a disaster. She thinks it's a mistake. And, and Jack is very single-minded on this, though. He isn't even really hearing what Sally has to say at this point. And, um he thinks that Sally's talking about the suit, right? Right. She, he thinks that she's saying the suit's going to be a disaster, that it's going to be a mistake. And Jack has all the confidence in Sally, but everything uh, seems wrong to Sally. And she leaves sullen and feeling hopeless because she is unable to stand up for herself whatsoever, it seems like. Yep. Um, we get that LSB. They're showing up now with the the Easter Bunny, which I wish the <laughs> Easter Bunny had a couple of lines, just a couple of lines, something, just yeah. a couple of lines. Jack does send them back out to try again, uh, but not before returning the Easter Bunny. Got him in. He says, "I'm very sorry for the inconvenience, sir." Yeah, that poor rabbit. Poor rabbit. That poor rabbit. Um, we get to see next that Doctor Finkelstein's making a new creation, and the plans are ready for the reindeer. Yeah, the plans, master. The plans. The plans. <laughs> I love Eeyore in that. <laughs> and we get song seven, Making Christmas, 35 Days to Halloween slash Christmas. I like that the sign, they pulled up the sign that says Xmas on there. Yep. Um, their own unique spin on Christmas. We get the bullet hole duck, the decapitated doll. Which definitely looks like the duck in Batman Returns. Yes, it does. There was another instance here, too. Um, when the devil and the wolfman and the zombie guy are all sawing and, like, chain-whipping that one toy. Yeah. Uh, when they come up with that toy, it looks a heck of a lot like the Max Shrek's department store logo. Oh, man. It looks a heck of a lot like it. I'm like, uh... A little uh, something there. A little something there, for sure. Um... 
Jack doesn't believe it, but all his hopes and dreams are actually finally coming true. Right. More power to you, Jack. Way to go. Uh, 11 days to Christmas, and in Christmas Town, things are going as usual. Um, I, from an animation standpoint, I really love how busy all these scenes are, how much yeah. stuff is going on in them, which is easily, I shouldn't say easily accomplished, but more easily accomplished with standard animation. But right. when you're animating five or six characters doing tasks, like quick rapid motion tasks, like over and over repetitive tasks in a scene. It it looks really good. And I can't imagine the, the time that it would have taken to actually do that. And having to mess up on any one of those puppets and start the whole thing all over. Like <laughs> after learning that, it just seems really daunting when you see some of these scenes. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein is successful in creating his skeleton reindeer that also fly. Good job, man. Way to have flying <laughs> yeah. skeletons. Um, we get some back and forth between Christmas Town and Halloween Town. We got Jack in the boxes and then spooky stuff in a box. Yeah. We get filling the stockings and then we get filling a giant snake. <laughs> and that snake looks a heck of a lot like a sandworm from uh, Beetlejuice. So yes, that's it some does. Uh, design elements that I'm sure were. On purpose, and then we get them loading the sleigh up, and then the in Halloween Town we get them making a sleigh out of a coffin, which I really like the aesthetics of that coffin sleigh. Yeah, especially when he like raises up out of it at the end when he's going to go do his own version of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Both sleighs are ready to go. It's Christmas time. <laughs> he lets out. Jack lets out a couple of like really blood curdling screeches and screams a couple of times i'm like dang dude that's scary <laughs> <laughs> and then we find out there's two and then one days to go to one day to go till christmas and halloween actually in christmas town santa is checking his list and he's checking it twice uh, there's hardly any naughty children this year ding dong who's at the door it's lock shock and barrel trick or treat trick or treat <laughs> santa's in the bag <laughs> <laughs> seemed exceedingly easy to capture santa way too easy <laughs> what's mrs claus doing whole heck of uh, probably saying see you later i never like that guy yep. anyways <laughs> get the hell out of here uh was santa now in halloween town uh sally is trying to get jack to see that he's making a giant mistake and then we get lock shock and barrel coming in jack jack this time we bagged him we bagged him uh, they unveil Sandy Claus to the whole town, and the townspeople are horrified. Yeah, <laughs> as if he's the scary one exactly. in this situation. Exactly. Not Jack, though. Jack is in awe. That's Sandy Claus in person. You actually have hands and not claws? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I wish Santa Claus did have claws. That would be kind of funny. It would be good. Uh, Santa is obviously very confused. Uh, there must be some mistake. You don't need to have another worry about Christmas this year. Consider this a vacation. Take it easy. Yeah. Come on, Santa. Take it easy, Santa. As if what he's seeing currently can make him take it easy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jack does take Santa's hat, and Lock, Shock, and Barrel take Santa away to Oogie Boogie. Um, Jack did say that that was the one thing that he was missing was Santa's hat. Yeah. And obviously, that's not actually what he was missing. What he's missing is the idea of what Christmas is supposed to mean. But Correct. to him, he was missing a hat. So he had him steal a human to steal a hat. <laughs> to steal a hat, exactly. <laughs> Sally is going to try to stop Jack with some fog juice. Dr. Finkelstein, he's creating a new monster using half of his own brain uh, for the conversation mostly. So that's kind of funny. Uh, Santa has made it to Oogie Boogies at this point, And uh, he's saying to Lock, Shock, and Barrel, uh, 
naughty children never get any presents and LSB jam Santa down that too because if he can fit down a chimney he, <laughs> he can, can definitely <laughs> he can fit down that too uh, with Oogie Boogie with Oogie Boogie and Santa now together we get song number eight the Oogie Boogie song just the names aren't great it's just the names aren't great <laughs> the names but aren't the song great. is great the song is great <laughs> I love the the day glow black light 90s oh, yeah. theme in this it's, definitely I was gonna say visually this is probably the best song it definitely is love this song I didn't even think about that until you said the day glow thing yeah that's very cool um, Oogie Boogie he's going to kill Santa Claus and another instance of gambling in a kids movie <laughs> yeah. that's something that also ties this movie to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three years earlier right. gambling in a kids movie uh, Jack is ready to take off and start his night as Santa but Sally has other plans and dumps that fog juice in the fountain and now it's as foggy as jellied brains I love those I love those vampires I don't know why I know I like <laughs> they're vampires. great Jack is pretty sad about this. There go all my hopes, my precious plans. There goes Christmas. <laughs> but Zero is there to save the day with his nose, just like some other reindeer I think most people know of, right? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I never noticed on the VHS copy of this movie that I used to watch all the time is that Zero's nose is a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, I never noticed that until I finally saw this movie in high definition. I I just thought it was an illuminated nose. I don't think I ever noticed it until I got the Funko Pop for it and noticed that it was. This is the first time watching watching this movie in preparation for this podcast when I realized his nose is a jack o' lantern. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, can't believe I've never noticed that before. Um, so obviously being a lot like Rudolph, Jack sends zero right to the head of the team and we're off. Uh, Sally tries one more time to stop Jack. Wait, Jack, no. (laughs) So she didn't try very hard. It was obviously unsuccessful. And we get song number nine, Sally's song. Um, it's a sad moment for Sally and the audience, right? It seems pretty hopeless. Yeah. Um, Sally loves Jack and is more concerned for him. She doesn't think that she's going to see him again. She feels hopeless and not in control. And she resigns to the fact that the worst around is around the corner and she can't stop what's going to happen, even though she wants to, uh, Jack is in the air and here comes his new and improved ideas for Christmas house one (laughs) Santa. The kid is obviously confused, scared, nervous. Right. When, when Jack like, goes right into the camera you, you know you're at the at the the point of view of that kid like yeah i don't know how that kid didn't turn around screaming um then the parents come down the stairs what did you get from santa it was a shrunken head it was a shrunken head <laughs> <laughs> parents obviously terrified at this point we see that the police are getting phone calls about being attacked by christmas toys that's the second complaint we've had tonight uh jack is looking out for his next victim so we're on to house number two May <laughs> get that carnivorous Christmas wreath. House number three, the gigantic snake, sandworm. Sandworm. Yeah. And then house number four, Max Shrek's cat vampire and the bullet riddled duck. A bigger fish to fry. So it would make a lot of sense for those two characters to be together if they did represent possibly those things from Batman Returns because yeah. they were both in Batman Returns. Right. I think that would qualify as an Easter egg, Trev. Easter egg. Um, the children, uh, the children get attacked by the vampire cat and the the ri- bullet riddled duck, and they seek refuge in their parents' room. 
Now, at this point, uh, Jack is just chucking toys down chimneys and destroying Christmas for everybody. He's <laughs> you know, just chucking toys, toys down chimneys. Yes. <laughs> Word gets around pretty quickly in that town, though, because everybody's turning out their lights and barricading their homes and to keep Santa out. The phones are ringing off the hook at the police station, and the police officer goes, I know, a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> Light your chimneys. <laughs> right. Uh, we get news reports from around the globe that an imposter is shamelessly impersonating Santa Claus, mocking and mangling this joyous holiday. So it's a big deal. Um, everyone in Halloween Town, though, has also been watching these events unfold, and they couldn't be happier. They think it's going right on to plan, right? Yeah. Except for Sally. Um, Sally even says someone needs to help Jack. Where'd they take that Sandy Claus? And Sally to the rescue, because she's going to go try to find Sandy Claus with Oogie Boogie, I'm guessing. Even though nobody answered where they took him, she just knows. Right. Whatever. Uh, the military has been mobilized to save Christmas. And Jack says, look, Zero, searchlights. <laughs> <laughs> the military has opened fire. They're celebrating. They're thanking us for doing a great job. And then one of those shells gets pretty dang close. Whoa, careful down there. You almost hit us. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack and Zero had just head higher into the sky. So Oogie Boogie and Santa now at Oogie Boogie's hideout, or whatever you want to call that, I guess. Uh, Sally's doing her best to get Santa out of this predict predicament. We got one leg to seduce Oogie Boogie in a movie for kids. <laughs> yeah. Seduction scene. And he's got a foot fetish. He's got a foot fetish. <laughs> Ooh, tickle, tickle. Tickle, tickle. And then the hands to untie and free Santa. Oogie Boogie discovers that it's all a ruse and attempts to suck Santa and Sally into his belly. Uh, Jack is still attempting to do his Santa thing uh, when Jack realizes that the military is trying to hit them. They're trying to hit us. Yeah. <laughs> and they get blown out of the sky. Merry Christmas to, to all and to all a good night. Curse Blatt. Curse Blatt. Um, Halloween Town saw this and they are all pretty bummed out. Um, I knew this Christmas thing was a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, terrible news, folks. The worst tragedy of our time. Jack has been blown to smithereens. That uh, mayor, he uh, he has no in-between. He's either completely, no. <laughs> completely devastated or overly optimistic. <laughs> and we get the police announcing that Christmas has been canceled. We got no signs of Santa and the imposter has been shot down. With Jack shot down, we get song number nine, Poor Jack. Jack is really down on himself and basically wants to be locked away and die, even though he's already dead. He says he wants to just die. <laughs> it's all over. It's pretty morbid. And he's singing this in a cemetery in Christmas land. So, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty pretty morbid. Um, he, did, he says he didn't mean to cause all this madness. All he wanted to do was bring them something great. Uh, but what the heck? He did his best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least he gave them some stories to tell. Yeah, I like now that. Everything's A-OK -okay now. Um, doing all of this made Jack feel like him, his old self again. He's uh, revitalized as the Pumpkin King. He can't wait till next Halloween already. Yep. Um, I guess the grass isn't always greener on the other side, as I some people say. Guess not. Uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Thanks, Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's got new ideas and he's going to give it all his might. It's time to save uh, Santa. Time to set things right. Um, back at Oogie Boogie's place, Santa and Sally are on that table waiting to be plunged into lava. Um, wait until Jack hears about this. Cut to the mayor driving by. 
saying, Jack is dust. And <laughs> Santa and Sally basically look at each other and gulp. Goop. <laughs> because obviously they don't think that Jack's on the way. Now, it's definitely not good for Santa and Sally. Uh, but luckily, Jack is on the way. Um, Oogie Boogie starts raising the table to dump Santa and Sally, and he's rolling the dice to determine the number of cranks he, he's going to get to do. And he gets snake eyes this time, which he doesn't want this time. Yep. So he slams his hand on the table and gets an 11, and that's great because that means Santa and Sally are dead. They're done. Bye-bye, dull face and Sandman. <laughs> um, luckily for them, though, Jack has already snuck into Oogie Boogie's lair without them noticing. Um and manages to save Sally and Santa before they get dropped into the lava. Uh, with no satisfying plop and sizzle, Oogie Boogie flips that table back and sees that uh, Sally and Santa are gone, but it's actually Jack Skellington on the table instead. Hello, Oogie. They said you were dead. You must be double dead. Double dead. Um, so Oogie Boogie's going to start activating his various traps, the playing cards with real swords, the shooting gallery slot machines, and then that giant buzzsaw. Uh, Jack does dodge them all with some coaching from Sally, so thanks, Sally. Oogie has, however, caused one of his stitches to come loose and creating a long string hanging from his hand. Uh, Jack mm, grabs that string and uh, manages to get it all tangled up in some machinery and... Uh, we get uh, reveal, the reveal that Oogie is full of bugs, and he falls apart, yep. all, all while screaming, my bugs, my bugs, my bugs. And Santa gets that final revenge, stepping on one of those bugs. And Jack says, I hope there's still time. Santa says, to fix Christmas? Of course there is. I'm Santa Claus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I'm Santa. real deal. Yeah, I am actually Santa Claus. Santa manages to put things back to normal and make it right in Halloween Town. Um, happy Halloween and then Merry Christmas. I like that they say that to each other. Yeah, I think and that's he great. gives them snow in Halloween yep. Town. Yep, and everybody's loving that snow. Oh, yeah. Playing hockey. The vampires are playing hockey. That was actually supposed to be Tim Burton's head on the ice, not a pumpkin. Oh, yeah. oh really? So that scene is shot. And they, it was made, they had to change it. Oh, okay. So there's a scene where they're playing hockey with Tim Burton's head and it gets shot at the camera. But they had to change it to a pumpkin. Oh, okay. I think the Tim Burton head one would have been better. They get snowball fights and snow angels, and then Dr. Finkelstein and his precious jewel looks exactly like him. Yeah. Uh, even Jack is grossed out. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty alarming. Um, how did you watch this? On Blu-ray. On Blu-ray. Do Finkelstein and his new precious jewel, do they kiss on your... No. I'm pretty sure they kiss in the VHS copy that I have. Probably. I don't. They did not kiss on the Disney Plus uh, version that I watched for this podcast. Um, and I just seem to remember that they kiss. But maybe they don't. And that's just some weird twisted thing that I created in my own mind. Uh, maybe. Um, e- any way you look at it, it was gross that yeah. he looks exactly like her. Right. That she looks exactly like him. <clears throat> Sally does sneak away to the cemetery after grabbing a flower, and Jack follows her. It looked like she was going to play He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not again. Again, yeah. Um, She obviously is not very confident in uh, her and Jack's relationship. I mean, why would she be? He's been pretty much ignoring her this whole time and acting like she doesn't exist. Um, Jack does interrupt, though. and He says some of the most romantic lines of the movie, like sit together now and forever, and uh, they were meant to be together. Um, so we get that great ending where Jack and Sally are together. It's a nice, happy ending. So 
Jack still gets his happy ending. He still gets something new. He gets something different than exciting. And right. it didn't happen to be Christmas. It just happened to be Sally. And then Zero, of course, flies off and becomes a star because Disney. Because Disney. Roll credits. Roll credits. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Great movie, right? It's a really good movie. It is a really, really good movie. Did you like it? Oh, I love it. This is one of my favorite movies, obviously. Um, Tim Burton just got a way to, like, put you into this, like, vibe. I don't know what it is, but all the scenery and the i mean elfman with the music and Mm -hmm. you watch this and like you said that reminds you of the uh sandworm and beetlejuice it it, you just feel like you want to watch all these tim burton movies when you watch a tim burton movie. yeah it's almost like he has his own like tim burton universe totally Um, yeah the one thing that i did want to say about elfman and his music in this movie is especially when they're in christmas town and they're doing the christmas music Mm -hmm. that he wrote for this the score that he wrote for this movie it reminds me so much of home alone and the score for that movie it's just unbelievable it just sounds like sounds like home alone music to me um i like i said i love this movie um i appreciate it more than i now now than i have ever yeah ever just having done some research on it and really learning about the animation process right. and the painstaking uh, attention to detail that they everybody everybody and on the cast and crew had to have yeah it's uh, respectable definitely respectable and it's why we don't see stop motion animation films coming out every year yeah <laughs> do teams even get three years to work on projects nowadays not like that no nope. definitely not like that um, director Henry Selick has recently revealed that a Disney Plus short could possibly be on the way for some form of a, a sequel to this movie. Okay, that would be awesome. Um, it, he said that it would be a short basically about Zero and his perspective of Halloween Town. Okay. So kind of doing something a little bit totally different. Totally different. Um, and the reason that there hasn't been a sequel is because initially anytime a sequel has been talked about with this movie, they always said it'll have to be CG, Ooh. which is a complete non-starter for uh, Tim Burton and for Henry Selleck. Right. Just, nope, not that's not what this movie is. It has to be stop motion animation. Right. And Disney's not willing to give them the go on that? Or? I would assume not. I, I can't imagine that it's financially... Viable, right? You it's because uh, no, we need money now. Right, we exactly. can't give you three years to yeah. work on a project. <laughs> Silly exactly. Tim Burton. I, I just, you'd think that somebody like Tim Burton would have like gained the ability to. He kind of already does make whatever he wants to make, but right, if he really wanted to have a Nightmare Before Christmas sequel, he could probably make it happen. You'd think, couldn't you just like? quadruple the amount of people working on it i don't know i I don't know you'd have to do something now that's the other thing because this movie came out in 1993 yeah it is nearly 30 years old now Mm -hmm. a lot of those people that worked on this on that film were probably in their 30s or 40s right we're getting towards the end of some of these people's lifespans yeah for sure their career yeah is this a matter of the people that have the technical know-how to make this stuff work aren't around aren't anymore. working on this stuff anymore um, yeah, yeah it's just is this a lost art for in some ways or another like yeah. is it even feasible to do another 
large scale stop motion animation movie that has this level of production. Right. I don't know. I, I would love to see something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's again. a shame because I, I would like to see it, but I am glad that they are coming to that conclusion that they're not going to do it if it's CG. No, I wouldn't want it to be any other way besides right. stop motion animation. Right. Um, I think I say this every podcast, but I love practical effects. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, I wouldn't want it any other way also. Um, you have anything else on that, Trav? I don't think so. All right. Well, should we talk about the homework assignment then? Let's do it. All right. Our homework assignment is going to be Home Alone. Now that as a movie, folks. That uh, is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Home Alone came out on two different days in November of 1990. came out November 10th in Chicago only in 1990 because of the ties with uh, John Hughes in Chicago. And then it was released nationwide on November 16th. It had a budget of $18 million, had a box office of $476.7 million worldwide in 1990. That is absolutely insane. Yeah, that's nearly $1.1 billion today. Holy crap. And as always, thank you, usinflationcalculator.com. <laughs> um, in that $1.1 billion, or that $476.7 million, made it the highest grossing live action comedy until the release of Hangover Part 2 in 2011. That's ridiculous. That's that's pretty dang cool, you know? Um, it was the second highest grossing film of 1990 behind Ghost also, which we just talked about Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was directed by Christopher Columbus. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, Christopher Columbus, man, Christopher Columbus. I know, wasn't he the guy that produced and created the x-files wasn't that guy and so i'm like i think it's that guy so i started looking up no that guy's name was chris carter not christopher Columbus. So different chris it's both have similar names to other people so yeah um home alone was written and produced by john hughes john hughes got his start at national lampoon's magazine in the 70s um, he, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, he was a writer on, and that movie was based on the short story Vacation 58, which was basically a story about his childhood in 1958. Mm -hmm. um, he's also known for 16 Candles, which he directed and wrote. Uh, the Breakfast Club, which he directed and wrote. Boom. Weird Science, which he directed and wrote. And Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which guess what? He directed and wrote. What? <laughs> that guy, man. That guy. John Hughes. I am in love with John Hughes. Um, movie starred Macaulay Culkin, Uncle Buck in 1989, My Girl in 91. Have you seen both of those? I've seen Uncle Buck. You've never seen My Girl? Uh-uh. Oh, it's definitely worth seeing. It's a, it's a very... It's a somber, like, one of those slice of life, like, summer in the 60s type of movie from the 90s that sure. she would see because of our parents, obviously, having grown up in the 60s and 70s type of thing. Um, he also starred in, uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin also starred in Michael Jackson's Black or White music video in 1991. Do you remember that music video being on TV at all? It was a... It was a huge deal. Like, it was on after the national news, and we sat down as a family and watched Black and White. No, as, I don't. As a family, Michael Jackson's I Black and two. White. Man, that was a big deal. It's like, gather around the TV, children. Michael Jackson has a new music video. Yeah. 
That was before everybody knew that he was a complete weirdo. Yeah. You got to separate the music from the man. (laughs) That's just my opinion on MJ. Separate the music from the man. Yeah. The music, good. The man, not so good. Not so good. Uh, Macaulay Culkin was also in The Good Son, which we've talked about. He came out in 1993. Uh, The Page Master in 94. I'm a big fan of The Page Master. I went and saw that movie with my dad in the theater. It was only the two of us, and I remember him being like, you want to go see a movie? I was like, sure. And he's like, what movie do you want to see? I want to see The Page Master. <laughs> I, can see, I can see in my mind him just being like, okay. Damn it. <laughs> true. Why did I ask? And then Richie Rich in 1994. Love and Richie Rich. The only reason I even wrote down Richie Rich for 94 was... Page Master in 94 was like pre-puberty Macaulay Culkin, and Richie Rich was like post-puberty Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah. And they came out in the same year. It was so weird because you'd see like Macaulay Culkin looking like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone, and then Macaulay Culkin looking like an adult. Right, it was, right. I remember being like, that's the, that's the same guy? It was yeah. very weird. But hey, puberty gets us all. Richie Rich is one of them VHSs I had at my mom's house, so I saw it a lot. And man, did I love the idea of McDonald's in my own house when I was a kid. <laughs> Kid. Oh, that'd be sweet. I wish I had it in my house now. Yeah. That's that the dream. Be that's sweet. the dream. And then Joe Pesci, obviously. Uh, Joe Pesci was in the Moonwalker video, which was also a Michael Jackson music video in 1988, which was another big deal, like national premiere, like mini movie. There was the video games made off, oh, off of Moonwalker gosh. and stuff. Uh, Moonwalker was a big deal. And then, of course, Goodfellas and Casino for Joe Pesci. Everybody knows who Joe Pesci is. And then we got ourselves a little Daniel Stern. And Daniel Stern was in City Slickers in 1991, Bushwhacked in 1995, and then in The Wonder Years, he was the narrator slash adult Kevin. Uncredited. Uncredited. That's crazy. Um, Are you a fan of Bushwhacked? I've never seen that. Oh boy, man, bushwhacked. He's like a he's like a fake camp counselor, a fake like Boy Scout type of guy, yeah. like den leader, and they go out into the woods and hilarity ensues. I love them in City Slickers. Yes. Definitely great in City Slickers. Uh, we get John Hurd and that's Kevin's dad and he was in lots and lots of movies, uh, not a one that I can remember watching. When I was going through his list, I'm like, nope, don't, I don't know what that, nope, I don't know what that, I don't <laughs> nope, know nope, what nope, that nope. is. I mostly remember him from Home Alone, and he had a role as a crooked police officer in The Sopranos. Oh, okay. That's mostly how I remember him. And then uh, Catherine O'Hare, we've talked about Kathy quite a bit, so, I mean, Beetle, yeah, Beetlejuice in 88, Waiting for Guffman in 96, which is a Christopher Guest mockumentary and Best in Show in the year 2000, huh. uh, which is also a Christopher Guest movie. Um, those mockumentaries, I'm a big fan of those mockumentaries, that's for sure. Um, so this movie won some awards surprisingly enough right home alone did mm-hmm. it got the golden globe nomination for best motion picture musical or comedy it got uh, best actor in a motion picture for a musical or musical or comedy for macaulay culkin and then it also had uh, academy award nominations uh, for best original score by john williams uh, best original score for uh, somewhere in memory and that's the song playing when kevin's parents come home Oh, uh, when okay. they get back, that's that song. D, I can't even do it. I was going to try to do it, but I'm not going to do it. You know, uh, I'm uh, super excited to to hit up me hit up some uh, Home Alone. Um, we will be doing Home Alone 2 directly after this one, so we'll yeah. just get that one right out of there, right out of here. 
Um, I can't wait to watch Home Alone a whole bunch. I'm going to watch it a whole bunch anyways, so yeah, I might as well watch it a whole bunch more. Exactly. I do every year anyway, exactly. so we just get a little early taste. We get a little early taste. Um, and you can find Home Alone on your shelf because you own own it already, yeah, right? Obviously. Uh, but it's on it's on Disney Plus, so Home Alone 1 and 2 are on Disney Plus, but if you don't own it, go buy it because it's a Christmas classic and everybody should own it. Yeah. Um do you have any insights on Home Alone that you want to talk about, Trav? Hmm. I don't think so. Um I will say if anyone is privy to uh Netflix, yes, that the movies that made us special on this is really cool. It is There's very good. A lot of stuff that I never would have paid attention to until seeing that. Like one basic thing is how much red and green is in the McCall or in uh, his household. Yeah, it's crazy it when you actually good. see it. Now, if anyone listens, listen and watches that, you're gonna have your mind blown and how yes. much red and green is in that house. Yeah, that should almost be some mandatory viewing is watching the movies that made us the Home Alone one because it is super duper informative and um, well worth the watch, just yep. like Trav says. Um, I guess with that. Um, Trav, you want to take us to that outro? Let's do it. Let's All right, get into let's some emails. So, our first email comes from Jake. He writes, he has a topic suggestion for us. 1996 Mars Attacks. Ack, ack. Such an out there movie used to scare me. Now I think it's hilarious. Also, I know I'm behind, but I love Cable Guy specifically for Jim Carrey. So do we, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. So do we. Um, I'd be more than happy to do some Mars Attacks. It's more Tim Burton, so yeah, I'm exactly. never going to turn it down. I've seen that multiple times. For A lot of these movies I remember renting and watching at my grandma's house with all my That's cousins for some reason. But uh, I really couldn't tell you much about Mars Attacks. Like I know I rented it multiple right. times when I was a kid, but... There's quite the ensemble cast for that movie. There's a lot of really famous people in it. I do remember it famously bombing in the box office. Uh, really? My brother-in-law has been quoted as saying that this is his favorite movie. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He loves himself some Mars Attacks. Nice. Yeah. Um, next question here comes from Timotheus1978. He wants to know, did you ever play any PC games as a kid, and which were your favorite? Um, So I was really lucky to have a PC in my house from like a very young age. My mom was a teacher in, at a college, a local college, and so in the 80s we had a personal computer in nice. our house. Like I remember having one in our house like since I was a, a young child, and so I would play games on there. Uh, that my father, my mother would buy. Like Wheel of Fortune was one that I remember playing on that. Oh, the, yeah. Those, a DOS computer. Manic Mansion was another one that I used to play. Um, there was some pinball games and stuff that we would play. But in the 90s, when I was actually playing more games on a PC, there was a few that I played. Mech Warrior being one of them. I played quite often. Day of the Tentacle, which was another fun game, which is a real goofy um, out there game. Uh, Sim City, obviously, and then The Sims. Obviously. Um, those were my big PC games that I liked to play. For sure. Yeah. Obviously, uh, my grandma had Solitaire going at all times on her computer. <laughs> so, Solitaire. I remember playing what must have been Casper the movie, the video game sure, on PC, sure. and just freaking loving that game <laughs> for some reason. Um, 
I remember playing a lot of Mahjong. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sure. Um, but like you, when I got a little bit more into gaming, when my dad got a PC, um, a lot of Sims for sure and Roller Coaster Tycoon. Ooh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. That is classic. But yeah, it is kind of funny that our generation is who started with the Sims. We were the first people to throw a <laughs> Sim in a pool and remove the ladder and <laughs> do some gruesome things. Take the doors and windows off of a room and just watch them go crazy. Watch them. Some people just like to watch the world burn. Yep. Uh, we have a, another question from Timotheus. He says... Which movie have you watched the most times? Why and how old were you, etc.? So, for me, it's kind of like a tie between three movies, I think, for most watched movies for me growing up. Between The NeverEnding Story 2, the A New Hope, Star Wars A New Hope, slash the whole trilogy, and then Aladdin. Never Ending Story was one that I rented a bunch, so mm-hmm. that was one that I liked to watch on my own and would always love to catch on uh, TV. Star Wars, though, that first those first three movies was like my sick day go-to. Mm-hmm. Was I would watch all three Star Wars movies from beginning to end all day. That's what I would do any time that I was home by myself sick. And then Aladdin. My sister in 1994 broke her femur, and so she had to have a body cast and all this other stuff, and she basically like lived on a futon in our living room for like eight weeks, I think, like that, and she was a gigantic Aladdin fan, so I watched Aladdin every day for eight weeks, maybe, (laughs) so I mean, those are my most watched movies for sure, and so Never Ending Story was all the way through my childhood, and then same thing with A New Hope, and then Aladdin was specifically in 1994, so. Yeah. Man, I honestly don't know what movie I've watched the most. I think of a lot of those movies that I had at my mom's, like Nightmare Before Christmas, that we just did. I watched a lot. The Mask, Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, I've said before, I think that I watched Mortal Kombat 2, Annihilation, four times in one sitting. So I watched that (laughs) a lot of times in one. Because, you know, instead of just fast-forwarding to the fight scenes, I watched the whole movie. Of course. Um, But... I think I might have seen American Pie 2 more than any other movie. (laughs) I remember when I was younger buying like 10 VHSs on some sale, and that was one of them, and I swear I watched it like every other day that summer. So, yeah, American Pie (laughs) 2. That's what I'm going with. Why? I don't know. I mean, yeah, just, it's hilarious, but I haven't watched it in a really long time now. Sometimes they, those movies just hit you. Yep, yep. Um, so the last email is just going to be a question from me to Drew. All right. I'm wondering, what is your favorite non-main character in Nightmare Before Christmas? And I think it might be the vampires. So <laughs> yes, it is definitely the vampires if you're going to choose them as a group of characters right. for the non-main characters. Um, for just a uh, like purely an animation standpoint, mm-hmm. the goopy guy. The goofy guy. How do you how do you even uh, like achieve that look in stop motion animation? I don't. I wonder that too. The stickiness of that, like that, is crazy, and just impressed me from the the instance. The instant I saw him, he was impressive to me. Yeah. So to not steal the same group of people, I love the vampires, but I love the jazz group. Yes. 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 
And then I'd say my favorite character is the overalls guy with the axe in his head. <laughs> I think he's pretty hilarious. He yeah. is very funny. I like that. Just take that axe out of his head. I bet yeah, you he'd be a lot a smarter. A little bit smarter, yeah, at yeah, least. A little bit. But uh, that wraps up emails for this episode. So make sure you are emailing us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. And check us out on our other socials, Twitter at Overdue Homework and Instagram at Overdue Homework Podcast. And as always, make sure you tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast.